Welcome to the Rabbi Greenberg Show, the podcast that brings Jewish knowledge to you. The Jewish people enslaved in Egypt are about to be redeemed. God sends Moses as his messenger to tell them that they will be liberated. And when Moses delivers the message, we find that he uses four different expressions of liberation. Let me just read this. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am God, and I will take you out from under the burdens of Egypt. That's number one. And I will save you from their labor. Number two. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Number three, and I will take you as a people for myself, and I will be a God to you, and you will know that I am God, your God, who is taking you out from under the burdens of Egypt. Number four, actually there's a number five as well. I will bring you to the land regarding which I raise my hand to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am God. We often talk about the four expressions of redemption, corresponding to which we drink four cups of wine at the Seder, at the Passover Seder. Why four cups of wine? Because there are four expressions of redemption. But the question could be asked, why four expressions of redemption? God could have just said in very simple language, I will liberate you from slavery. Why four different expressions? And then there's a fifth expression, and we don't even drink a fifth cup. Well, the four expressions, you could say, describe four different stages in their liberation. Number one, God took away the slavery, the brutality, the pain that was involved in their slave labor, the torture that they endured. You could no longer be tortured as a slave, but you could still be a slave. So God liberated them from being slaves, even a benign form of slavery. But you can be a, no longer a slave, but you could still be a captive in a country, like in the former Soviet Union, where you couldn't leave. So then you weren't enslaved, but you were not really free. But then you could also be free, you could leave the country but you have no purpose, you have no goal, you have no aim. You need a fourth level of redemption where you are given the Torah at Mount Sinai that gives your life purpose and meaning. And you're not only physically free, you're spiritually free. Because you know what happens when a person is physically free and they have no spiritual life, they become enslaved to so many other masters. They may have had one master before, but now that they're free, they have many masters. And our Society today, we see people suffering from drug overdoses, people who are involved in all sorts of negative and harmful and destructive behavior. Why? Because they were free and they have no responsibility, no higher force to which they are beholden. That's one simple way of explaining the four expressions of redemption, corresponding to which we drink four cups of wine. But I'd like to suggest another way of explaining the four expressions and therefore the four cups of wine. There's a Midrash, a collection of rabbinic teachings 
that talk about what it is that we did right when we were slaves in Egypt that we deserved to be liberated and that it wasn't just God taking us out in spite of everything, but it was because of something, because we did something right. Although, generally speaking, it says that we degenerated in Egypt, but we had four redeeming qualities. According to this Midrash, the first quality was we didn't change our names. We retained our Hebrew names. The second distinction that we had was we didn't change our language. And the third thing, the third virtue was we didn't slander one another. We had the sense of responsibility and unity. And number four is that we were chaste. We did not degenerate to the immorality. We, our family life was pure, and therefore we deserve to be liberated from Egypt. Let's try to understand what these four things mean. The first thing is, when you're a slave, you have no identity. You're just chattel. You're just like a piece of property. And even if you're treated civilly, and even if you're treated kindly, the fact that you are a slave means you have zero identity. So the first thing that the Jewish people experienced that it gave them the power to get out of slavery was that they didn't accept that status that they have no identity. And that's why they kept their names. By keeping their names, it means they retained their identity. Sure, the Egyptians enslaved them. That they couldn't stop. But they didn't have to give in. You know what happens very often in a hostage situation? They call it the Stockholm Syndrome, where you become beholden to your master and you give in and submit to the master's way of identifying you as no more than just his or her property without having any own any identity of your own. So that was the first thing, and that's what the verse talks about in the very beginning. I will take you out from under the burdens of Egypt. Now, why is it important to say Egypt? If God just released us from the burdens, from the slavery, what difference does it make if it was Egypt or any other country? But because Egypt was their new identity from the point of view of the Egyptian overlords. And God says, I'm taking you out of those burdens of Egypt. You're never going to be identified by anything else but your own identity. And what did we do to deserve that? We chose not to be identified by our masters, by our taskmasters, by, our, by the Egyptian overlords. Then you have a person who has an identity, but nevertheless, their thought process is not their own. They borrow it from another culture. In our society today, so many Jewish people, when they think about different subjects, especially if they are theological subject, subjects, they think of the subjects in the same way as other religions that, or the culture in which they live, they don't think Jewishly, and therefore they don't speak Jewishly. Yes, they might be speaking the language, English language, but they're also thinking in terms of 
the culture in which we live. But the Jews in Egypt didn't change their language. That means that their language remained the language of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It remained the language that expressed Jewish values. There was a famous Hasidic scholar of this generation, Rabbi Zalman Posner, who wrote a book entitled, Speak English, But Think Jewish. That it's not the language per se that is important, it's the content of the language. And that's what the Jews did not lose. The content of their language was still very much a Jewish content. And therefore, not only did they not lose their identity, they didn't lose their thought process. They thought in terms of the values of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that is represented by the second point. And I will save you from their labor. You will not labor the same way. You will labor as a Jew and not as a Egyptian. And then the third quality was you could have an identity. You could think and speak Jewishly, but you don't feel that you're part of the Jewish people. You're a loner. You're an individual that happens to be Jewish in name and in thought processes, but you're not part of the Jewish community. There's no unity, and that's what leads to all sorts of discord, slander, and so on. And here the Torah tells us that the Jewish people did not slander one another. There was a sense of unity. And because of that, the, the exodus was not a private exodus, an exodus of individuals. It was a collective exodus with all the fanfare that it, that it involved. And that's what it means over here when it says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment because this is not one person, several people going out of prison. This is a whole nation, a unified nation that gives the Jewish people tremendous strength. One of the things about the unity of the Jewish people is that it strengthens us in the face of our enemies who try to harm us. Because not only are we qualitatively superior to those who like to destroy us, we are also quantitatively superior because our enemies, diverse enemies, are only united by their design against us, but they don't get along with each other either. They're fighting with each other. So our enemy is really not one large community. It's many, many different individual forces of evil that coalesce for one objective only. But we, when we are united, we are one people containing so many different individuals. So we're superior qualitatively and quantitatively. And that calls for a a redemption with a lot of fanfare, with an outstretched arm and with judgment, as the Torah says. But then a person could be identified as a Jew, think Jewishly, be united, but have have no moral way of living. They're not in control of their morals. There's no real family life, a chaste and pure family life. That means they're not in control of their passion, of their emotions, of their drives. The ultimate goal of liberation is when a person has the control over his or her interests, emotions, and all sorts of drives that lead a person astray. That was something that the Jewish people in Egypt didn't have. 
They didn't succumb to the immorality of Egypt. Egypt was known as, a, as, was known as a depraved land with all sorts of immorality. In fact, it was considered to be the lowliest country. The Jews did not compromise their family life. There was only one incident, we're told, where a Jewish woman was violated, and that was all based on a mistake. And that was something that was unique, and for which reason they were deserving to be liberated. Now, in order to do that, you have to have a strong, powerful, spiritual teaching, and that's the fourth expression of redemption. I will take you as a people for myself, and I will be a God to you, and you will know that I am God, your God, who is taking you out from under the burdens of Egypt. In other words, God is saying, I am your God, which means not just that we believe in God and God therefore accepts us, but God puts himself, as it were, inside of us. God's infinite spiritual identity is introduced into the Jewish people who lived in Egypt at that time. And that enabled them, that gave them the power to resist temptation and to be in control of their morals. And that's why we drink the fourth cup of wine, because we got a Torah at Mount Sinai, at which time God put himself into us. When God says, I am the Lord your God, who has taken you out of the land of Egypt, Hasidic thought translates that, not just I am the Lord your God, but I have made myself your very source of life. You contain within yourselves my infinite divine power. But then there's a fifth expression, that I will take you to the land. And some say that that's the reason why we have a fifth cup on the Seder plate. We don't drink that cup in most communities. It's designated for Elijah. It's about the future. It's about the future messianic age. But one could say that what trait corresponds to this fifth cup, that's the trait of faith and anticipation and yearning for redemption. Yes, you could be a perfect Jew with your identity, with your thought processes, with your unity, and even with your morals, but it's not enough. One has to have faith that ultimately we will be taken out of this exile and we will be brought to the land of Israel with the coming of Mashiach. Thanks for listening to The Rabbi Greenberg Show.